Welcome to City Talk Nova, a podcast from City View Church in Northern Virginia. We are a church family that God is building to make disciples of Jesus Christ in the heart of Loudoun County and all around the world. This is our first sermon episode featuring Pastor Mark's message from Sunday, January 15th. We're starting a new series this week called Foundation, Genesis 1-11. through A building stands or falls because of its foundation. Likewise, the quality of our life depends on the foundation it rests upon. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24-27 that the extent of our wisdom or folly will be revealed by what we build our life upon. So for this series, we're going back to the beginning, to mine the first 11 chapters of Genesis for truth to build our lives upon. This weekend, we'll start with the Bible's first four words, In the beginning, God. You know, some of the most important questions that we all need to answer are things like, does God exist? And if God exists, what is he like? Does he want to know me? Or is he just like an impersonal force out there? Might God have something to say about how I live? These are the most important questions that we can grapple with. How you answer these questions will shape everything about your life. It will drive your trajectory, and it's ultimately going to drive your your eternal destiny. There's something about us human beings, though, that we have this sense of the transcendence. We have this sense of there's something or someone out there. There's a God. There's more to life than just me. We human beings have a God awareness that we just can't shake. We were made to worship. Every culture that has been discovered has some form of worshiping the divine. There's a sense of sacredness. And these can be cultures that have never met one another that are separated by distance. But we all, as human beings, have this sense of there's more to life. I need to worship someone or something. Atheism has to be taught. It is unnatural. Atheism has never ended well when a society has adopted it. And you, look, you need to look no further than the 20th century at Nazism and communism. Atheism does not make sense of our lives. It can't help us navigate good and evil. And it gives no sense of purpose. I have yet to meet an atheist who will honestly say it's only for completely intellectual reasons that they are an atheist. Every atheist I've talked to, at the core of their being, there's a sense of, I'm disappointed, I feel that God let me down. I'm mad at God for something that happened to me in my life. Or, I just don't want anyone telling me what to do. The case for for atheism is not strong. So what do we do with this whole idea of God? You can open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. First book in the Bible. We're going to look at the first four words in Genesis today. Plan on doing a series on the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and you guys are thinking, four words today, good Lord, we're going to be here for the rest of forever. Don't worry. We are going to pick up the pace 
as we go along here. Genesis 1.1. We as human beings have this God awareness. And Scripture just assumes that. This is how it starts. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. What you make of these words will drive how you live. What you make of these words will be how you address all the issues you face in life. See, here's the thing. God has been writing a magnificent story spanning the centuries. And in this story, there's love and there's loss. There's war and there's peace. And there's redemption. And there's glory. And the message throughout the Bible, God's book, is that he is inviting us into his story. But we've got to understand that the story begins with him and it ends with him. And ultimately, it's really about him. So what can these four, first four words tell us about life? What can these first four words give us as a foundation for living? Because again, what you make of these four words will drive everything about your life. In the beginning, God. So let's break it down even a little bit more. First three words. In the beginning. In the beginning. At the start. Before time began, as we know it, there was one who existed outside of the laws of nature. There was one who existed who is greater than the laws of nature as we know them. And he set everything into being. God, or someone above the laws of nature, is really the only way you can explain how things got to be here. At one point, the majority of scientists believed that the universe just kind of existed forever and it was infinite. But the more we do scientific research, science is catching up with what the Bible says all along. And the evidence that we have today from the Hubble telescope and, and others even beyond it is that the universe had to have had a beginning at a point in time. Someone had to do that. You know, the story is told of a group of atheists who decided, you know, we figured out how this all began. So they went to God and they said, God, we can do this without you. And God looked at them and said, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've discovered that if you can get these certain compounds together and these amino acids, and then you strike them with lightning, that generates something. And then over just millions of years, all of a sudden, bada boom, bada bing, bada bang, you've got life and everything as we know it. And God said, really? Yeah, yeah, really. Okay, well, go to it. And this group of atheists, they looked at God and they said, yeah, but uh, we'll need a spoonful of dirt just to get it started. And God said, make your own dirt. Someone had to start everything as we know it. The universe sprang into existence through one greater than the laws of nature. When the Bible starts out as in the beginning, it's not saying that God had a beginning or a birthday. 
Rather, he's saying that he had no beginning as we think of it. But God is defining everything by himself. At a point in time that he chose, the one who's existed before time ever began said, I am going to launch the universe. In the beginning, there was a start. And the best scientific evidence we have today affirms that, yes, it all started at a point in time, at a point someone or something launched it all into being. In the beginning, and then the fourth word, God. God. The Bible just says God. The Bible didn't even argue for his existence. The Bible just speaks as if, guys, this is all so obvious that you should be able to see that God is. He exists. Now, I want to say something about knowing God. I think Christians sometimes get themselves all tripped up about what does it mean to know God? Some will say, well, you need to know all this doctrine about him. You need to know all these things about him, these facts about him. And others will say, no, 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 it's all about knowing God. It's all about relationship. But I would challenge you if you're on either side of this spectrum. We need both. Knowing God involves your mind and it also involves your head. If you only know facts about God, your faith is going to be kind of brittle. If you only think it's about knowing God in, in the relational sense, it'll be kind of mushy. Knowing God with your mind and with your heart should never be a contradiction. Knowing God with your mind and your heart is the way it ought to be. I am married to my favorite human being, and it would be weird after 26 years if I said, you know, Karen and I, we just get along great. I just know her really well, but I didn't know where she was born or, you know, other details about her life. That would be odd. It would also be just as odd if all I knew was a list of facts about her, but I didn't know the things that she liked or the things she enjoyed doing or just how she's wired. It's a both and. We get to know God through our minds and our hearts. You know, the picture I've used for this series is a construction picture. And it makes sense to me as an engineer. I hope you all will bear with me. But this is reinforced concrete construction. Reinforced concrete is better than either of the components in it. Reinforced concrete is when you have concrete and you've got steel inside it. And here's the thing. Concrete is great under compression. Steel is not. Concrete is useless under tension. Well, steel is really strong under tension. But when you put steel and concrete together, you have a much better structure. In the same way, we're to love God with our minds and in our lives, in our hearts. It's relational and it's with our minds. It's a both and. One of the greatest preachers who ever lived said this, the proper study of the Christian is the Godhead. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, 
The mightiest philosophy which can engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the doings, and the existence of the great God he calls his Father. There's something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity and so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. I love the way that ends. It is a subject so vast. God is so great that I can spend all my life trying to figure him out and I'll never get there. But as I spend my time trying to get to know him better, my pride just gets pushed to the side as I see how great God is. And it puts me in my place. And it gives me humility. Knowing God will do that. You've come to the right balance in knowing God with your mind and with your heart when you can say, my thoughts are lost in his greatness and my pride is drowned in his infinity. God. So in this first four phrases, first four words of the Bible, in our language, there are some important things we can learn about God that are a foundation for us. First of all, the Bible doesn't attempt to prove God's existence. God doesn't start his word with, in the beginning, God, oh, and then let me give you eight reasons why I exist. There's nothing, it's just assumed. God exists, and we just need to accept that. It is so screamingly obvious that God exists. Look at the world around us. Could it have happened by chance? I don't think there's any chance that could happen. We've talked about this before. Look at some of the animals out there that all have characteristics that are developed that if it took millions of years for these traits to develop, the animal would have died off before it ever developed. The giraffe, I won't go into the details now, but there's no way a giraffe could have kind of slowly morphed from being a regular creature that looked kind of like a cow to becoming a giraffe. Think of a bird like the woodpecker. It's got a specially made skull and it's got a unique spongy system around its mind to accept the banging against a tree that it does. That could not evolve over years. Someone who knew what he was doing had to make the woodpecker just as he was. Think of the fine-tuning in our universe. There are so many factors that come together that it screams out that someone who knew what they were doing made me. And some people trying to suppress the obvious are now saying things like, well, there's, you know, there's this multiverse idea. Really? It takes more faith to believe that than it does that a God or a designer made what we see. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 1, verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, 
so that they are without excuse. God says, just look around you. I don't need to write a book arguing for my existence. Look around you at the world, and you tell me if that happened by chance. Nature points to God. We also see in this first phrase that God is self-existent. God is self-existent. He is above the laws of nature. He doesn't owe his existence to anyone else. No one made him. He has existed forever. He isn't dependent on us. He loves us because of who he is, not because of who we are. And that's an important distinction for us to have. God also refers to himself by another name in the Bible. We, we pronounce it in English as Jehovah or, or Yahweh. And that literally means the self-existent one. Some of you might recall the story of Moses when God tapped him and said, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses came up with several different excuses, good reasons why someone else ought to do it. And one of them was, well, but, but what if they don't believe that you sent me? Who should I say sent me? And God said, just tell them that I, the self-existent one, the one who is I am, sent you. God doesn't depend on us. And he wants us to know that. And it's not because God is arrogant, but because God wants to drive us to him because we need him. And we just sung about that. The word that's used for God in this first uh, group of words in the Bible is Elohim in the Hebrew. And this gives us a glimpse of God's character. It literally means the mighty one, the great one. And when it's used in the plural form as it is here, it's saying he is better than anyone or anything else that you can worship. Because all you need to do is look at history and see that human beings have tried to create or make up little gods or idols that we can worship. God is saying, they're nothing. I'm the God of gods. I am the mighty one. I am the one that you need. He's the God of gods. In the beginning, God, we see that he is eternal. He's outside of time. He is from everlasting to everlasting. And this is fantastic because it means that we can trust him. See, everything begins with God and everything ends with God. He isn't limited by time as we are. We think in terms of time. But God isn't limited by that. You know, the verse I read earlier where I pointed to is from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 where it says God has put eternity in their hearts. He's given us you know, this God awareness, it's just, it's in our DNA. We can't shake it. But right before that, it says that he makes everything beautiful in his time. He is completely in charge of time, even though we don't get it. But God says, that's all because I want you to trust me. I am trustworthy. Stop trying to figure it all out and lean in on me.
God exists, and we are not him. God exists apart from us. There is a God, and I am not him. That is a really important truth to know. Coming to terms with this is probably the most important realization a person can come to. Coming to the conclusion that there is a God, and I am not him. There is a God who deserves my worship. There is a God who I can trust. There is a God whose goodness I can trust when I can't make sense of life. Living with God and under his rule is the best choice that any of us can make. So when scripture starts with, in the beginning, God, that's a foundation to build our life on. No human being can ever be advised to say, just go through life and then try to kind of figure out what you want in a God and then make him up and you can either make him as an idol or it can just be someone in your dreams or your thoughts. There is a God and he is who he is regardless of what we want to think. And the sooner we come to terms with, I'm going to see him for who he is, the better things will be for us. So what do we do with all of this? In the beginning, God. First of all, you will only find yourself when you find God. You will only find yourself when you find God. There's this myth out there that we just need to go find ourselves, eat, pray, love, or whatever it might be. But God says, you're chasing after the wrong thing. You need to know me because I am the one who defines everything. I am the self-existent one. We can only make sense of life when we're rooted in him. You can only make sense of life when you're rooted in someone or something greater than yourself. Because if you think life is about finding yourself and defining life by yourself, then you're in trouble because your ups and downs are dictated by what is happening to you. Whereas when you have the firm, that firm foundation of there is a God who I can know and who I know loves me more than I can imagine and is in control, you'll be okay when the suffering hits. You'll only find yourself when you find God. Well-known religious phrase, it's true that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You can chase after happiness all you want, and it will elude you. But you seek God. God's not trying to hide from us. But if you seek God, he says, you can find me, and I'm here for you, and I'm better than you could ever imagine. Our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him. God doesn't want us to worship him and be miserable. The more we get to know him, 
the more optimistic we'll be about what lies ahead, regardless of what is going on in the world. But our existence is for God's honor and for his purposes, not our own. But the great thing is when you align with God's honor and God's purposes, he blesses you with far more than you could ever think. You see, we lose our bearing in life when we don't recognize God for who he truly is. If we don't worship God for who he truly is, whether it be out of ignorance or arrogance, we miss out. And that's why we need to read what the Bible has to say about him and see who he is in his greatness. God is from everlasting to everlasting. He is perfect love. He is perfect justice. He is sovereign. He is in control. And I find that the older I get, the more and more thankful I am for his great patience. God would have had every right to step on me years ago, but he is patient. And we find that in the Bible, and then we experience that in our lives. You must have a correct view of God to start making sense of life. So for all of us, do we worship God for who he is revealed in the Bible? Or are we trying to have a God of our own imagination, a God that we invent in our mind? Maybe a God who is there kind of like a break glass in type of emergency? Or a God who is there when, whoops, I need help? Or will we accept God for who he says he is, even the things which make us uncomfortable? Do you live your life aware that God is present? Do you go into work Monday mornings saying, I'm confident that God is with me? Because one of the great things about being a Christian is you can do that. He is with you in the classroom. He is with you at work. He is with you at home. God never intended Christianity to be something where Okay, get your, your God fill on Sunday mornings or in your life group or in some other church event, and then you're on the own, your own the rest of the time. That's not the way God rolls. God says, I will be with you. I think practically speaking, our prayers will never be greater than our image of God. If you think God is small, if you think God is not that great, if you just think he's kind of the old man in the sky and you're not going to ask him bold, great prayer requests. But when you go, wait a minute, this is the God of the universe that I worship. The very God who spoke the universe into existence, who rose Jesus from the dead. This is who I'm going to when I pray. So don't just spend time doing tepid little prayer requests with God. Ask God for big things and trust him because God wants to show himself strong on our behalf. But if we think God is small, or if you think he only shows up on Sunday mornings, well, then we're going to have hindered prayers. But if God's people, if all of us just had a glimpse of how great he is, it's going to transform the way we pray. And it's going to transform the way things happen. And as this series unfolds, we can see how we can know God. We're going to see more about him. But God wants us to know him. He doesn't want to hide from us. 
He wants us to do life with him because he longs to be with us in all that we do. Most important decision anyone can make is to say, God, I want to be right with you. There's more to walking with God than recognizing that he exists. That's a huge first step. But God wants to do life with all of us. And the trouble is, all of us kind of say, no thanks, God, we want to do our own thing. You know, you'll hear a term of idolatry and God's people worshipped idols and they ran away from him. And, you know, in you know, modern, what are we, 21st century now America, we say, I don't do any of that stuff. But instead we tend to have idols of the mind. It might be our money, our position, our stuff, anything like that. But if we're chasing after the wrong stuff, the Bible says that's sin, and that separates us from God. The bad news is that there is nothing we can do in and of ourselves to get right with God. Going to church won't make you right with God. Giving money to the poor won't make you right with God. Our sin gives us a debt that we can't pay by ourselves. But God loves us so much that he says, world, I want to, to make a way for us to have a relationship, to be right with one another. And so God, the one who made the universe, took on the form of a human, Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He never had a bad attitude. Nothing like that. And he was willing to go to the cross to die in our place. The Bible says quite simply that when we recognize, oh, Lord, I've fallen short of your standard. I've worshiped all the wrong stuff. I've chased after the wrong stuff. I repent of that. I'm turning to you, God, and I believe that Jesus died for me and he rose again. The Bible says when you come to that decision that you pass from death unto life and you can do life with God. That's amazing. The bigger you realize God is, the better life becomes when you go, this is just phenomenal. I don't deserve this. But the same God who not only spoke the universe into existence, but is keeping everything going, is walking with me. Guys, don't lose sight of that. Don't let the troubles and the cares and the worries of this world so blind you to the fact that God is with you. My prayer for all of us is that we would see God for who he is. That we would step out in confidence knowing that he is with us. That we would base our lives on him. Because as we base our lives on him, we then have a firm foundation for whatever happens to us. But if you try to do life apart from him, you have no foundation to stand on. So I urge you, if you don't yet know Jesus as Savior, today would be a great day to turn to him and believe. For all of us, let's build our life on God, and it's an intentional decision we have to make every day. He's bigger and better and greater than we can imagine. Let's enjoy life with him. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we come to you and you are greater than our words can really describe. Lord, forgive us for the times that we take you for granted, that we don't give you the credit that you deserve. Lord, would you give us a sense of awe for you in your greatness? Lord, help us to see how big and fantastic you are. And then, Lord, at the same moment, would you humble us as we come to the realization that you, who by our standards should be far too busy for any of us, that you want to share life with us. Lord, I pray that we would choose to build our lives around you every day. In Jesus' name, amen.